Hello, welcome to Time to Say Goodbye. It is March 15th. Uh, this week is going to be me and Tammy, and we're going to... Last night, we were recording this on Monday. Last night was the Oscars. Did you get to see any of it, Tammy? <laughs> I only watched clips and the fashion slideshows. Oh, yeah? Was, well, <laughs> I didn't even see the fashion slideshows. I just saw oh. everyone was mad at that singer because she was wearing that gigantic cloud-like headdress. <laughs> Blocking the view. Yeah, and people are like... <laughs> Oh, what about the people behind her, you know? And it was funny because in some of the photos, you do see some, like, somebody, like, kind of straining to look around it, you know? But I don't know. I think it's, like, ridiculous. It was, like, a share moment from the 80s. Oh, yeah. She had, like, that big black crown thing. Right, right, right. (laughs) Now, I don't know. This singer's name, I think, is Thames. Thames. Are you aware? No, I don't. I don't either. But, um, (laughs) you know, share... I don't know. I guess Cher probably was a big enough star. Maybe Thames is too. I don't know anything about modern music. But, <laughs> I, there's a photo of the guy sitting to her left, and he's like, like leaned at an 45 degree <laughs> angle to like not get hit with this like lacy whatever. I will say it's the really dress funny. was. I thought it was cool. It looks you know? really great. Yeah. yeah. Um. So I wasn't that mad. I was like, if it had been ugly, you know, and and it had been blocking people's view, I think it would have been okay. But as long as you look okay in it, then I think that you had to kind of give them credit for, right? Like just being like, <laughs> well, I don't know. But people are like, why isn't it detachable or something like that? And it's like, guys, <laughs> are you really are you really thinking this long and hard about what this person has oh decided God, to wear to the, so funny. to the to the Academy Awards? Who cares, you know? Um, but it was a big night for Asian America, right? And I think we should talk about <laughs> it a little so, bit. Yeah. Um, everything everywhere all at once won every single award. It's it so felt like nuts. It won best screenplay. It won best picture. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis yeah they won best director Jamie Lee Curtis won best supporting actress Michelle Yeoh won best actress and uh yeah and and it was was, like what else best supporting actor right 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 a guy from Goonies his name I can't remember (laughs) Key Key Quay he uh and everybody you know like it was this big triumph of representation I think Mm -hmm. That was the last, the most recent triumph of representation since Parasite won every award. <laughs> Parasite won all the big awards. <laughs> I don't know. It's so interesting to me because it's like uh, everything feels like it's a new frontier, right? Or it's talked about as if it's a new frontier. And I wonder, I, I kind of go, go back and I think about it. I'm like, I don't know, guys. Like, you know, I think we're overrepresented now. You think that's your day? There's too much Asian success. Remember when we had um, Alex Rivera, the Latino filmmaker, on to talk about Bitcoin stuff? Right, yeah. And his whole thing is like, Latinos are like, whatever, 50% of LA and like, they get nothing. Like, there's no Latino TV. There's no Latino movies. And I'm like, Asians, we're now overrepresented in media. This is absurd. (laughs) And there's too many shows. I like can't talk to him. I feel bad. You know, I'm like, why do Asians have so many shows? Well, I think it's similar to what we were talking about last week with uh, books you know yeah and i think that there is kind of like a big if you want to go like macro about it you can make an economic argument that is very convincing which is that like the ways in which these things are fed are through sort of upper middle class aspirational grinds right like so 
you go start at the bottom and you build your way up and that like at some point you have enough power within the industry to put pressure on the industry to change to include more of these types of stories and then you do things like crazy rich Asians where you prove that it is financially viable right and that all the old white people have been wrong all along and then you bring in a whole bunch of people who are not who have the right credentials to occupy these types of spaces and then you have a whole bunch of stuff that comes out right like that that seems to be generally true right? i think so i think the the layer on top of that which we probably said on the show even when we discussed everything everywhere is like the transnational asian connection right with like funding right. from china and other asian countries and or this kind of overlap of asian and asian american actors like right. the michelle yos of the world I mean, this is squarely like an American production in the sense of it's like the Daniels and, you know, it's in their kind of framework with Jamie Lee Curtis and it's an immigrant narrative. But yeah, I mean, the fact that Michelle Yeoh is the main actor in the thing kind of also raises questions about like, is this Asian American? Is this something else? Right. Right. I saw a lot of people tweeting about how like Asian Michelle Yeoh was, was like a win for Asian Americans. And I was like, Michelle Yeoh is not Asian American. <laughs> not an Asian American. We guy. want her to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It'd be cool if she was, but like, uh, you know, like, I don't, like, she is not, like, she's not. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I do think that that category shifting a little bit to just being like, because Michelle Yeoh, I think, very intentionally just said for people who look like me, you know? Yeah. That's um, that maybe that sort of transnational part is now just part of it mm -hmm. where it's like asians but that's even more of a crazy category than even asian americans <laughs> <laughs> you know? it's like what are we talking about i here? know yeah um i don't know i go back and forth with this stuff because i will say that i like this movie much more than you did right yes that is true and i have not been swayed by all of the angry people who are mad nor have i been swayed that much who's by like, mad i feel like everyone's happy no well, I don't know. Some people in my Twitter feed were like not that happy about it. Oh, okay. Um, but I <laughs> thought they the movie... want Tar to win, or yeah, like, I think they wanted yeah. Tar to win. And I will say that, like, I don't. I have never once. I didn't really watch much of the Oscars last night either because I don't make it a habit to watch it yeah. because I generally think it's like I just think it's ridiculous, you know. And I I find that whatever part of me still is like a feel some sort of affiliation with counterculture or any type of yeah, like I'm in the muck and that. you guys are all the fancy people. Like I still find like, <laughs> like I know that my life is now is, is, is no longer that, but I still identify that way <laughs> as I sit in my basement in a Arcteryx jacket. Like, you know, like I still am like sitting around being like, <laughs> fuck these people, you know? And so, and fuck the Oscars. And so right. I still feel that way. So I don't really watch it very much, but mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. I think that like, like I thought that Tar was a great movie, mm -hmm. I and I would that. rather watch Tar than I than watch everything everywhere all I at totally once. I totally agree. Do you and think yet, its sweep was just like all, about it being so different and so off the wall? And in that case, what are the what is the Academy trying to signal? Because that's all the Oscars are, right? It's like movie people trying to say something about movie culture. Right. And for them, I think that the idea like the there's two arguments that are out there. The first is that like basically this is a way to smuggle in Marvel movies as being like good. Right. Oh, like, funny. So they're huh. saying like this 
was basically like a big multiverse Marvel movie that could have existed with like visual sight gags and crazy costumes and like, you know, like this like kind of trans or like interdimensional storyline and uh, Michelle Yeoh doing a lot of, you know, sort of bringing back a lot of her roots and doing Mm -hmm. Kung Fu movies. Totally. And that this will make it so that multiverse movies from Marvel are now seen as acceptable. Now, I find that that type of argument is like a nice story to tell, but I find it very hard to (laughs) I mean, that is like, that takes a lot of mental gymnastics. People are tumbling. You can tell me that story and I'll probably be like, yeah, maybe, you know, but probably (laughs) not. You know, I don't, that seems like it's a big conspiracy to really believe. And the other argument is that um, the uh, Academy sort of felt like the movie was deeper than it was right and that Hmm. um people are reading a lot of stuff into what ultimately was like a bit of a mess now i don't really buy that either because i thought that the movie was pretty good in terms of on its own terms like i never felt confused or anything like that you know and i kind of felt like it was a two-hour ride that i was on yeah that i enjoyed you Mm know um but And I also really, really don't buy this idea that for a movie to be good, that it needs to, in a very self-serious way, explore the human condition (laughs) in, like, you know, mostly set in, like, some domestic setting or something like that. Right. You just want it to be fun and move along. Yeah. Right, right, right. Like, I don't want to watch Secrets and Lies, you know, or I don't want to watch, oh, I don't know whatever domestic like, like every other a24 road. movie <laughs> <laughs> something like that um i just want to watch like i my favorite movies are all kung fu movies which is why it made this type of film interesting to me because i mm-hmm. felt like it had real uh it was inspired in a lot of ways yeah. by stephen chow who's like I get my that. one of my i probably my favorite filmmaker you oh, know yeah. um just sort of this fantastical kung fu type of movie mm-hmm. And that they set it within a sort of familiar Asian immigrant type of setting. And I don't think that that's bad. I think they did a good job with it, you know, but it's just uh, that's what the movie is. And so I also resist this idea that like, oh, it failed because it wasn't as deep as I thought it was or it wasn't like it didn't really plumb the depths of the human experience or i'm just like well i don't know if movie well and when has the bad. academy made that it's top criterion for oscar i don't know like the king's speech won best picture i think <laughs> that's like the dumbest movie i've ever seen oh my god life. i like that movie i will stand <laughs> i will stand up for that movie i'm sorry I oh, love Colin <laughs> you didn't like everything everywhere all at once but you like the king's speech that is totally terrible. delegitimating right anyway <laughs> yeah, so i mean terrible. i also wanted la la land to win so. did you like um, crash i mean like these are the, like, these hey, movies are okay, these, like, sort of oscar bait serious movies are the like my face they're my least favorite movies of all time like a beautiful mind i was just like you gotta be kidding me <laughs> terrible i liked it at the time i feel like looking back maybe my taste have evolved a little bit i kind of felt like with this when the oscars were trying to bra- the academy people were trying to broadcast something different which is that they want to be cooler than they are maybe like maybe. you know what i mean like they they see this movie that like is kind of all over the place trying new stuff really zany and they think like oh yeah like there's something of this in us. Like we're still, it's kind of like maybe people our age or our, us right. exactly being like we are cooler than yeah, we actually yeah, are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Being like, yeah. I'm cool with what the kids like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? 
It's like when you see people too. tweeting yeah. like they're 20 years younger than they are, you know, and you say, <laughs> dude, you're like 45, <laughs> like stop this, you know. Yeah. You don't listen to this group. You don't listen to these bands, you know. <laughs> None of us listen Your to any music. Your child is what listening are you to talking this band. About? Um, yeah, so um, I don't think we have anything to say about this. I just felt like we should address it yeah. because it was like a big moment for us. We are an Asian-American show. I do yeah. love the fact that older actresses are all winning and up in the running for like best supporting oh, yeah. and best actor. I mean, it's kind of cool. You know, I like seeing middle-aged and older actresses on screen i've always enjoyed that and i feel like this is a really good year for that she said michelle yo said and i thought when she was like women don't let them tell you your past your prime which was like a great (laughs) dig at don lemon i thought (laughs) (laughs) that's where your mind went (laughs) i think it was clearly a dig at don Don lemon right and that crazy stuff don lemon said about how google it a woman don lemon my God, I can't believe oh, he's I coming back. I don't think I've ever heard oh, that. That's that. so John, funny. John okay. Wait, what did he say? And he in said what a women's prime is between twenty-five and thirty. And then why did every... he say? Why was he talking? <laughs> he was talking <laughs> about Nikki Haley, and he was like, "Oh well, she's God. past." And then, um, and then the other people on set were just like, "What are you? What?" And then he was like, "Just Google it." Google it. Technically speaking, and she's like, well, for oh what childbirth? God. Like, what in the world are you talking about? Anyway, I thought that she was sort of, I see. Um, That's she was funny. maybe responding to that, but also for the fact that, you know, like she is what, 60 now or something like that, or she's uh, on the older side. I don't yeah. know. I, I found it very hard to feel any type of intense emotion about it because I did like the movie and I thought, I love Michelle Yeoh because, as I said, I'm a huge Kung Fu uh, movie fan. And I thought it was wonderful for her to get recognition. And I did think she was good in the movie. Mm -hmm. And I did think that uh, that uh, Ki Kui Hwan was like uh, was extremely good in the movie. Yeah. Like um, and I, I I do think on one of on our movie discord, one of the people in our discord said, I wish he would stop crying so much. And I kind of, I'm kind of into that take, you know, but, but I also thought his speech was nice, you know, like talking about like, uh, he, you know, he was in a, he was a refugee, you know, Mm -hmm. um, he did have a difficult, did you see Bernie Sanders tweeted about it? No, wait, what did he say? He said, uh, that. That uh, we ha- that because he showed an interview where he was talking about how he didn't have health insurance during the pandemic because he couldn't mm-hmm. fulfill the one acting job uh, oh to get keep his guild insurance or whatever, and so Bernie tweeted, wow. you know, we should oh my God. end we should end health uh, employer employer based health care." How does like, he find like he's the a best. way to have his? I know, like, how does he find the weirdest pegs possible yeah, to just say all... the exact same thing every day? It's incredible. always on message. It was it's so, so good. good, but it is it it is fucked up. He didn't have health insurance in a pandemic so after nice. making this movie, you know. And he's like, what? He's like in his fifties. Like he shouldn't oh get God. COVID and have no health insurance. It's crazy. That is you wild. Know? I just went on the marketplace and I have to say getting healthcare in America is one of the bleakest projects an adult can go through. It is humiliating. It's bad. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Bernie, so Bernie won the Oscars is our conclusion here. And uh, we're happy for Michelle Yeoh, right? Yeah. And um, all this idea about it's a, Tammy thinks that there are too many Asians in Hollywood. (laughs) 
Just, you're going Kanye. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh no! There's a there's a lot, you know, and it's Come all on, very, there's a lot. Yeah, Last it, night is weird. That's a weird outcome. What? To, oh yeah, to have that just many. to completely sweep everything. I know, but I thought it was like in terms of like the other thing I would say is that I think that it is a confirmation that. I do think that Hollywood or the members of the Academy were probably thinking they're a little bit cooler than they were. But I also think that like, and sometimes you remember that movie when that Sandra Bullock space movie won? Oh yeah. Yeah. I like that movie. What was it called? I forget. Oh God. I always mix up Atmosphere, the Atmosphere, Earth, Gravity or something like that. It was yeah. Sandra, basically the movie was a Sandra Bullock floating around space like by herself. Gravity. Right? Gravity. Right? Yeah. Um, I think I sometimes that. they just think, hey, what is the biggest accomplishment, right? What movie was the biggest accomplishment? And I thought mm-hmm. that, you know, there is a defensible argument to be made that this movie was the biggest accomplishment. Um, I see. And that uh, for movie going and what movie is, like Tar is like, you know, hyper-focused on our type of people, right? Mm-hmm. Like not Asians, but, you know, like educated media people. And so in that way, of course, it would have more resonance, or at least I would find it more intellectually interesting. Mm-hmm. But I think most people would probably rather watch everything everywhere all at once. Probably. Right? Yeah. And so being a little bit more populist in its taste, I think yeah, is fine. Yeah, I think that's right. Right. Um, and uh, in the end, it's the Oscars. So like, you know, if anybody thinks it's some reflection on what taste should be, you know, I don't yeah. know. Grow up. All right. So the... <laughs> Your response to everything. Yeah. It's not a big that has become my age forty three response. It really friends. you do yeah. say it more than even last year. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm just it's like really guys, funny. just calm down. Everything's gonna be okay. You don't have to be mad about this stuff. Just calm down. You know, like we're it's gonna be okay. Like uh tar everybody liked tar, you know. Kate Blanchett has like a thousand awards. I know. And was she awesome? I she was awesome, you know. But was it like kind of Kate Blanchett doing Kate Blanchett? Her, exactly. Yeah, it was kind of like Kate Blanchett. It's she's become like kind of like Robert De Niro in a way, you know, where it's like, yeah. oh, she's doing that, and it's the thing she's doing is great, right? But it's the thing but she it's does a little bit predictable, yeah, all the time, you know. Yeah. And uh, I will always watch that thing she does all the time because I think it's great. Uh-huh. But it is her thing, you know. And um, I don't know. She was a. Uh, she was, she was good. I, I thought our talk about that with Vincent was so fun and illuminating. And it's interesting though, because right after that, I talked to a friend who had listened to it and she thought we were all completely wrong and that that movie is like totally misogynistic and unwatchable. Isn't that interesting? Really? Tar? I know. I was like, really? And I, you know, because I had, I think I made a comment at one point, like, it wouldn't have worked as well if it had been a man just because that's like kind of what we expect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And this kind of turned it upside down a little bit. And she just thought like, how could they do that? It's so clearly made by a man and it felt like very woman hating. So it was really interesting. I don't know. Hmm. I don't see it, but apparently she's not alone. I, I was listening to a Korean feminist podcast the other day and they said the exact same thing. Really? Just, yeah. I had a hard, I mean, unless you feel like the, I mean, I don't want to, I don't know what these takes are, so I don't want to dismiss them. But I would say that basically you have to think about like if you can if you can't have an irredeemable character that's female, then sure, you know, but 
in the end, she is redeemed, I think. I think Becca Rothfeld's re- uh, read on this oh, whole yeah, thing was yeah. the right one. She does basically, that, she yeah. does have a redemption in the end. Mm-hmm. And that you do see her working on the scores. And, you know, it's mm-hmm. in a place that she wouldn't have expected. But she has, like, sort of found her work again, right? Mm-hmm. Like, she has found the, the joy of the, of the work again. And that's the whole point of it now. Is that somewhat of a corny resolution? Maybe, you know? <laughs> but um, it was a resolution, right? It wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to burn this person at the stake, right? Which right. I think would have been a little bit more of a yeah, problematic end. So. Um, anyway, speaking of Korean feminism, okay. <laughs> I wanted to, uh, this is something that we have been covering for the past, for really the life of the show. Yeah, right? I think the life um, of the show. And I wanted to talk about it today because it's been a while since we've talked about anything international um, other than Michelle Yeoh. Uh, and that we... <laughs> An article came out by Anna Louise Sussman, right? and it came out recently, and it was about South Korea's 4B movement. The, uh, the headline of it is quite provocative, and the article and the reporting, I think, are quite good. Um, and it's, uh, the title is, A World Without Men, the Women of South Korea's 4B Movement Aren't Fighting the Patriarchy, They're Leaving It Behind Entirely. And it tells this story of this uh, young woman named Youngmi, I think, is it Youngmi, right? Mm-hmm. who is a nursing yes, assistant. And uh, it talks about how, you know, she was depressed and then she found on social media protests happening in 2018. I think we've talked about these protests before, right? For um, sure. yeah. And that she sort of got inspired by this and then joined this movement. So um, I don't know, Tammy, You, this is something you've also written about. It's something that you've been, you know, that you've followed quite quickly, like just for just to catch our readers back up like on all of this like what 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 is this movement that that this young woman is part of that that Anna Louise Sussman wrote about yeah so Anna's story kind of is an, an update to a lot of the Korea Me Too reporting that we saw beginning in like 2016 2018 when a lot of energy was galvanizing in social media forums but also in response to real life mostly like crimes like murders and assaults and um and some very terrible um online sexual exploitation of you know, right right and, and what you're talking about specifically well. is like i remember one of the big flashpoints is that people would hide cameras in women's bathrooms yeah and, um, and, right. and you still see that like you know i mean it's almost a cliche now but when you go to korea you see little bits of toilet paper plopped into like holes and nicks in bathroom walls because everyone is freaked out about being on film with this like hidden camera pornography. Um, So an update to like after 2016, there was this infamous murder, 2018, the organizing starts slowing down like a little bit. And I think much like American Me Too, it's sort of like through the pandemic and up until this period, it's a little bit of a question mark of like, what is it? And then what is the backlash against it? And the backlash in Korea, like, metastasized basically into the presidential election of Yoon. Right. right. Um, you know, with other economic factors, as we've discussed on the show. But but anyway, Anna writes specifically about a kind of a more, I guess, extreme wing, maybe extreme isn't the right word, but like kind of radical wing of the feminist movement in Korea called 4B. And B is standing for P, which means not it's like the anti-prefix, right. um, and it describes pion, pitsusan, pione, and pisexu. And it's women who are against marriage, they're against childbirth, they're against dating men, and they're against heterosexual sex. 
And so it's a little bit of this like, like feminist opt out culture of like the heterosexual and patriarchal framework, something like we might have seen in the 70s in the United States or the 90s right, or the in the 90s, United States. Yeah. I was going to yeah. say that was like kind of, um, you know, that was like the whole feminazi backlash, right? right? Like right. this is kind of a similar thing, except that I would say in Korea, it's it's way more radical to do things that are much more simple and kind of accepted in the States, even in the 90s, like call yourself a feminist, cut your hair, you know, it was like, it wouldn't be that fringy to do stuff like that. But in Korea, it's still quite difficult. Right. So anyway, Anna goes around kind of talking to women, younger women in Seoul and Busan, the two largest cities to interview them about why they're doing this. And I thought it was a really good and, you know, succinct, like summation of, you know, why women feel this way. And also like the, the sort of political and economic thing trends that make them opt into this movement and opt out of regular culture. Yeah, one of the parts that I was interested in was how uh, large this thing is, right? Like how sizable it is. And so in the piece, like she writes, it is unclear how widespread or popular the 4B movement is given its fluid online and offline nature and the evolution over the years, beginning sometime around 2015 or 2016 when a simple no-marriage lifestyle grew to include a boycott of men and reproductive labor more broadly. One article estimated 50,000 adherents. Others have put the movement's numbers at under 5,000. Its origin story is similarly complex, though its contours can be traced. So one of the things that I have always been curious about in these types of movements, and, you know, in America, for example, you have this around like Antifa or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. Now, in America, are there people who are, would, uh, sort of call themselves Antifa and, you know, participate in black block tactics or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. They exist right mm-hmm. now. Is there more than 1000 of these people? I don't know. You know, is there 500,000 of these people? Absolutely. Absolutely not. Right. But they have kept for a while in 2020 or 2019, 2021, they captured the American attention in a way that was mostly because of the people who were on the other side pointing right. this out as yeah. a, Thing. It was very outsized in its representation, right? Right. Is this true of this 4B movement, do you think? Like, is it because it, I, I just think of it as being okay, so you have this like dude elected to president in Korea, yeah. right? Basically, just being like running on a platform of like, this is out of control, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. And obviously, these types of sort of opportunistic backlash X's, we need to return to whatever is very en vogue around the world right now mm-hmm. like how, how is this sort of process in that's in that way and in, in proportion to its size is it always a topic of conversation is it like a big topic of conversation like it was enough to seemingly swing a presidential election right so i was wondering how it sort of existed in that space i think the 4b thing is like a very kind of like the uh, the narrow and radical subset of like feminism broadly construed but i think in south korea the dynamic you would describe with Antifa is real in the sense that feminism, I wish it were as strong as the right wing thinks it is. You know what I mean? Like it's actually pretty hard to do feminist organizing. And like, of course women are into it and like got politicized in those particular, like in those early years of the movement, but it's, it's also like become weakened, I think. And women also who do identify as liberals and leftists have even shrunk away from it because of certain radicalizing elements of it. Like maybe she describes this a little bit too, like almost like a kind of like um, more centrist or even like more conservative backlash within women's groups against, you know, 4B type feminists. So 
I think it's really hard to say the 50,000 to me just seems really high. Like I'm, I know someone like reported that and, you know, has a reason of thinking that, but that, I guess like when you're there, you don't feel this culture. I mean, obviously, like, do you has- ever see somebody, you know, with their haircut, no makeup? For sure. On? Yeah. And I think like depending on the areas of particularly like large cities that you're right. in, like people are out lesbians, like people are, you know, right. quote unquote, tomboy, like doing tomboy culture, like that sort of thing. But I think it's very hard and it takes a lot of, you know, will and you have to deflect a lot of criticism and your family, you know, dismissing you and stuff. So, so I think like the numbers to me seem, and, you know, I think Anna's processing that like fuzzy and hard. I think like right now, the thing that is tangible in any conversation that you have with women in their thirties, forties is twenties, thirties, forties is around like, what is it? What is the texture of life under someone like you? How does it feel like when basically the kind of machinery of politics revolves around a question of gender relations and you're on the losing end of that? Or you feel like the government is trying to do everything it can to incentivize birth, but they don't actually care about any of the other conditions affecting. Right. Well, let's talk about that because that's the most interesting part to me, because there's these (laughs) there are these two big uh, larger factors that are going on right now. Right. Well, the first is that uh, and Anna writes about this. Basically, mm-hmm. women like much like in America. Right. Women are enrolling in college and have, are much more are better educated yeah. than men in Korea. Right. Um, same as here. Right. That's yeah. happened. Right. Yeah. Where women are generally higher educated and achieve higher academically. And then you have this birth rate problem, which is like the big question in really of all Korean politics at this point it almost feels like right like we don't like we I think Korea has the lowest birth rate in the world is that right yes several years running and it's getting worse and uh this is like you can point to any number of factors for this right you can say that it's well you know this is what happens when economies mature you could but generally not to the bottom right you can say (laughs) like there's no immigration to Korea really still and so you don't have people coming in having bigger families like you might here in the United States, you can point to uh, the extreme amount of pressure that's put on children, right, to mm-hmm. to to achieve and to all this hagwon stuff that happens where parents feel like they have to spend all of their money sending their kids to special academies and that maybe the cost is too prohibitive. Or you can talk about living spaces or whatever and talk about super dense cities and the fact that, like, people don't really have that much space, Right. Um, I don't know what it is, right? But that seems to be like that is sort of the backdrop of all of this, right? Like it is a question of birth, and that maybe there is like a lot of pressure on Korean women to give, <laughs> to give yeah. birth. Totally. Right? I mean, it's like one of the things I think about all the time in terms of Korea, which is that like childcare in Korea is free, right? Like it's not in 2017. I think they tried to pass it as a law that it was going to be free. But basically, the costs were already so low and people wanted to be able to choose the childcare that they had. So like they kind of got rid of that program, I think. But basically, it's de facto free. Right. And that obviously is all the government trying to incentivize. all. And you get money too. you get money to reproduce. And you have they have this incredible like public doula system. You know, when you as soon as you give birth, like my cousin stayed in one recently and she was like living there for 30 days. They cook you all your meals what? and like take care of your kid. It's like amazing. They bring you the kid to, to breastfeed and stuff, but you can sleep. So they have like a free night nurse. 
Basically, yeah. Oh I mean, she did goodness. it. I think she was there for two or three weeks. Listen, if you ever wanted to get like all the women <laughs> who are in the, you know, that cut article about Fleischman is in trouble, like sort of the upper middle class oh. uh, <laughs> moms of America to move to Korea, you should just say, hey, you get a free night nurse. <laughs> it is such like a, it's like a very interesting dividing class line here, you know, in my world, I will just say as like mm-hmm. a parent and whatever, like in uh in upper middle class life, which is like, who has a night nurse and who does? People actually have, have that? night nurse. Oh yeah, people have night nurses. Oh, of yeah. course they do. Yeah, yeah. It's like, does your nanny travel with you, or does oh, my your Lord. nanny not travel with you? Do you? Because ever you know, everyone has a nanny. But like, Jay, these conversations, how do you survive them? <laughs> Listen, because <laughs> I'm also implicated in them. I'm like, oh really? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, we don't have a night nurse. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> free oh night nurse is, is wild you know um he's amazing yeah, yeah none I mean, of this seems to be working because the birth rate well, keeps yeah. dropping right because so. and i think like from women's perspective it's like again you haven't fixed the underlying issues like men don't do any housework right basically if you are a woman and you do decide to give birth you have to quit your job or you're going to be fired you know like there is no mobility even though there is technically stuff on the books right and also i mean you mentioned the housing thing i think one of the biggest factors that young people cite is that basically there's an assumption before you get married that you're going to need to buy an apartment together and nobody has the money to do that in Seoul right? where most people live. So anyway, I think there's like all these factors, but definitely from the woman's perspective, like I totally understand why people wouldn't want to get married or have children. I mean, I understand that in the United States, let alone in Korea. <laughs> Right, right. And that's like, I don't know, it's, it's, uh, it to me, it seems like it's quite clear that that's the question underlying all of this. And yeah. that basically what Korean patriarchal society has decided is like, listen, we tried to be nice, you know, we tried to give you all this free childcare and stuff. And now we're just going to be now we're just going to force you to do it right through political <laughs> will or whatever. Right. And it's and it's definitely not going to work, you know. <laughs> No, it is not working. Yes. <laughs> it is not working. Have you and, thought? You know, have you thought? Have you heard any decent like understanding of like what people think would work? Right, like it is not. It, it is not good to have like the lowest birth rate in the world. Right, like from a just basic economic standpoint, it's also not good for a societal standpoint where you have no kids and basically uh, your country's population is just gonna keep going down and down and down right and then you have this massive burden of elderly people who are going and you have no young people to take care of them at some point right like at some point right um have you like what what are some ideas around that people have around fixing this thing just because it seems kind of dire at this point yeah i mean i think the employment stuff is huge like making sure that women have a pathway in their jobs and won't get discriminated against for being parents right is is like i don't know a huge one is that on the the table at all I mean, I think they're trying. They're, it's interesting. I was like reading the Korean news the other day, and right now the latest employment thing being considered is limiting the work week to 69 hours. <laughs> oh, my God. It's so funny to watch that next to the French debates around retirement. Yeah. Um, anyway, so, I, yeah, I mean, I think – I feel like everything right now is less on the table just because Yoon is not interested in a lot of these reforms, but that is certainly a big one. You mentioned the immigration thing. I think that definitely plays a part in this, both in the sense of – immigrants do tend to have more children, but also um, the way that Korean, the Korean government is trying to do immigration is also very sexist. Like if they have like 
quote unquote, imported brides for men who cannot marry women, especially in the countryside, the kinds of assimilation forced on those women is very extreme. So they're incentivizing the births of those children, but in the, in a way that basically erases the woman's home culture. Right. And so all of the classes that they're subjected to and stuff are like, forget everything about your past. You're going to be a hundred percent Korean. This is how you raise a Korean child. So, you know, I think it's, it's like, it's sort of like what we were just saying, like Korea, grow up, like, <laughs> like <laughs> get your shit together on work and on family development. You know, um, I think there's also like this bot, this baseline cultural change that has to happen in heterosexual society, which is that men need to do things. Yeah. Yeah. And that's especially with thing, the educational shift. That, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. It's... But they don't do things. And, you know, I think like more modern women right now, like, they are making more demands on men. And so it's not like the olden days where everyone will just accept that the men will sit on their ass and do absolutely no housework or childcare, but it's certainly nowhere close to adequate. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, the work week part is an interesting part of it for me too, because like, I don't know if people in the listening to the show know, but like Koreans work a lot, like their work week is way too much. Way And, mostly, and the productivity is low because of that. Yeah. It's basically you have a bunch of people. I if you have any Korean cousins or anything like that, like you know I do, um, and you talk to them, and you express shock at how many hours they work, right? And then they kind of tell you, well, a lot of it is just spent looking busy. <laughs> you don't really do that just much. Just being more. there for the boss to see you, there. right? It's yeah. just like this culture of like <laughs> intensity, and we must do this, right? And it's a. Uh, I think that if I worked 80 hours a week and had to go into an office the entire time, it would be impossible to have kids. <laughs> it literally impossible. You never see them. Yeah. Like they'll be asleep. And so then what is the point if you're never going to see the kid because you always have to work? Um, even if the child care part of it is free, you know? Yeah. Like what is the, what is your incentive to have like three kids if you're never going to see them, right? Like right. Uh, it does. And then at, when they turn like seven, you have to send them to like 15 different hagwons, right? Exactly. And then you have to work even harder. Like it just seems like that is the part that's broken. It's just like, I think that work. part is huge. Yeah. yeah. Also like that goes along with the apartment thing where it's like, no one feels ready to have a child and develop them in the way that it seems to require in that society. You know what I mean? Right. And um, I mean, also like, not that queer reproduction would replace heterosexual reproduction, but we should also note that it's like very, very difficult. And there's like a discrimination against non-heterosexual people to have any form of enjoy any form of reproductive rights in South Korea and stuff. So there's like this whole kind of like menu of things that is working against people to have like modern relationships and modern children. Right. Right. It's interesting. I don't know. I've, I've, I'm glad that uh, Anna wrote this article just because I thought, felt like it was like a good resetting of you know some of the stuff that we had been totally discussing yeah. on the podcast and um was you know i will put it in the show notes i think it was quite good and that um in sort of explaining why why these women have made this choice and you know mm -hmm. the size of the movement is obviously up for debate but i think that even just having an expression of it is probably pretty powerful within Definitely. that country you know which is so patriarchal um and yeah, I was when the World Cup was happening. Do you do we talk about this in the podcast where I was trying to? I had this idea where it would be I was just going to vote for the more, or I was just going to root for the more woke country in every, <laughs> in every World Cup match. 
<laughs> so I was trying to. I was what trying were your to, criteria? <laughs> I don't know. I had no. I, this was not well thought That's out. Hilarious. But I was. Uh, it was like one of my five a.m. tweets. You know, where I just wake <laughs> up, roll out of bed, and just fire one off. And then I was like, I was like, Korea has got to be at the bottom. <laughs> Korea's playing Uruguay, I think. And I was like, is Korea woker than Uruguay? And I was like, I don't know anything about Uruguay, but I assume the answer is no. You know, and then I learned that Uruguay (laughs) was actually quite progressive on a lot of things. Korea is not. But um Yeah. It is a it is I don't know. Especially now. You know, I think maybe ten years ago you could make an argument that the country was like uh wake you know changing in some way but um maybe not even 10 years ago maybe like five years ago but now it's like good lord um <laughs> yeah i guess this backlash is is real um okay the other thing that we wanted to talk did you uh we're gonna maybe maybe we can like thread this thing in but this is something i've noticed for a uh, a while and it got it got uh zoe who who is a great writer um wrote this piece about trad life and and um sort of this trad (laughs) movement right now there's a lot of expressions of this and one of them that went viral very recently was that there's this like a woman who's on tiktok and she talks about her trad life right and she oh really yeah wait i don't know about this tell me um, well, she's, I don't know, she's like 25 or something like that. And she wears these very traditional dresses and she's very pretty, you know, uh-huh. and she just, she kind of looks like a, like a January Jones from like, she's very, okay. it seems like she's consciously made her hair look like January Jones's see. hair in Mad Men. Mad Men. Right? Okay. And that's sort of the clue that people are, I think that there's a visual right. clue that people are picking up because they keep talking about Mad Men in this context. She kind of looks like January Jones, you know. Okay. Um, but so retro vibe, kind right? Of, right, and yeah. saying like this, uh, the this is a life that I chose, and there's a lot of dignity in it, or whatever. Now, this person online to me appears to be fake, you know. Like she's <laughs> <laughs> just like I don't know why people don't do this, but like when she went started going viral, I just went back on her Instagram, you know, and she hadn't deleted her old pieces before or her old oh, things before nice. she sort of picked up this tread character. Yeah. And it was like gym shots and like just very normal, like, you know, like Instagram hmm. type of stuff. And then suddenly, you know, one I day see. she starts showing up in like uh in like housewife dresses, you know, wow. from the fifties and doing this thing. And it's worked for her and I respect the hustle, you know, because um <laughs> <laughs> but I do not believe for but a, you're a liar. I don't believe for a second that this is this person's life. You know, so does she what is the deal? Like is she so she's white, is she like in an urban context? Like I think she's somewhere you? in Virginia. Okay. You know? Um but yeah. Uh huh. the pl- other place where this is, right, is it's not this is not um it's sort of in this like trad Catholic downtown scene yes. around Dime Square Which or whatever. I do not right? understand this. I also don't believe Can you that. tell me about it? Like I don't know anything about it. It's something okay. that I feel like the New York Times style section is always kind of trying to tell me I should care about. And I'm always like, me absolutely too. not. Yeah. <laughs> you know? like, I'm not clicking on I don't care, you know? Like I don't know what Dime Square is, and like I, I've walked by it, you know, and I've been like, well, there seem to be a lot of young people out here, you know, but I'm, I'm not going to care about him. Sorry, you know, <laughs> I'm 43 years old, you know, but, um, but yeah, I think that like 
I find it interesting only in the sense that like I don't really know how seriously to take mm-hmm. it because it's just like you know it seems like it is more of an idea for some people than an actual mm-hmm. like you know thing that that is expressed in any way I don't know why do you, I, I, I assume well, that you find all this repulsive so tell me what you think about <laughs> it but I, I do, but I know very little about it. And I, I guess I was wondering if you had thoughts on its historical genesis, because I know you've done reporting on the far right. And a lot of times it seems like the, well, at least one wing of trad wives, like follow, like is attached to right wing stuff, right, like, right, like bad right, right wing politics. And so like, is that where it came from? And then there's these offshoots that are like, no, we're just like Catholics, like having fun or is, you know, like how bad is this? In yeah. yeah. Well, let me, let me read a bit from Zoe's article, right? Because I think it was, it's quite good, but um, trad life is a handy neologism for a recent set of attitudes and lifestyles devoted to glorifying the nuclear family and its jolly scenery. It is often promulgated by the new right The followers retain a confusing span of affiliations. Even as trad life looks backwards, its pursuit and its rights are communicated mostly over social media in role-playing and image-making, the principal languages of such uh, platforms. Followers post photos and videos of their ostensibly traditional families, wreathing their content with artful connotations of romance, safety, and leisure. Wives narrate to cameras the good fortune they've found in being kept women and living alongside stoic breadwinners. They publish pictures of their houses and vacations, which are visibly expensive. The twist that makes a trad life a phenomenon of our times is that it also includes earnest criticisms of life under capitalism. Many trad lifers are young women who hate work and celebrate arrangements where men rescue their wives from their professional realm. <laughs> Quote, when my ma- friend's mom started dating her husband, one viral tweet reads, he said, stay with me, marry me, and you'll never have to work again. Only tradition can salvage love from modern indignities and the early morning commute. Like a trapdoor, the idea swings open to reveal a baby pink fantasy, too fragile and nostalgic to be taken in the open air. Regular people preoccupied with bills, healthcare premiums, and rising rents will find much of the trad lifestyle to be out of reach. That paradox is what makes it such potent social media fare. Trad life is, at bottom, perpetuated by, quote, influencers, who know how to make others feel desirous and frustrated in equal measure. It is a menacing advertisement jingle for a product people not might may not want or be certain exists, right? Yeah, so it's it is this I think that that is accurate about this, okay. right? That it is influencer driven and it is about like this idea that the hopelessness that one might feel that young people might feel under capitalism, right? Like, and that's, this is why I think it's appealing to a lot of people who might've voted for Bernie Sanders or been involved in like some sort of dirtbag leftery, like in 2016 Mm -hmm. is that at some level it's like, okay, actually our criticism of capitalism is correct, right? Like we are going to be these sort of empty vessels just plugging away in some sort of machine or another, but our assessment of it was wrong, right? Or our solution was wrong. Uh, the solution at some point was like, I don't know what it was, right? Like all these sort of cringy liberation politics. But in mm-hmm. fact, we should just embrace this traditional life and that we should understand that this is better. Like, but I think you don't think she's it. giving them too much credit? I mean, I, I, I feel like I get, I get why that reading exists, but... If you are if you are saying okay yeah work sucks and um, you know this structure isn't working for me why does it why is like relying on a man to do exactly the same thing at all like a subversion of anything well I don't think that Zoe thinks that it is you know um, I think that what uh, she's saying is that that's the thought that they have right. 
but is that but that's what I mean like is that real that also seems like the kind of act that you laid out in the TikTok right 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 no but I think that that's that's the idea it is an act right it is an act and it is sort of a posture but it is a regression back into some sort of idea that actually the thing that they are against is like all the like kind of hey we can be equal or like we should be free or we should be liberated type of stuff right yeah and that they find that all and it's all aesthetic i think in the end i know i think that's yeah. like they think that all that stuff is cringe right and that um this type of life that they're advertising is actually like cool in some sort of way Uh because it feels regressive in the same way that i think in the you know let's say late 90s or something like that do you remember when this happened when Vice like sort of started up as not became really huge in the 90s and um, late 90s mm-hmm. and their idea, you know, which was in the end pretty white supremacist, given that it was all Gavin, Gavin McGinnis doing right. it right. Like yeah. all that shit from that era of Vice when Vice was actually good. That's all Gavin. Right. Like mm-hmm. it's not Sarouche. It's not it's not um, it's it's definitely not Shane Smith. Right. Like Shane is like the business guy of it. That's all Gavin. Right. Like the. PBR, like white trash type of mm-hmm. like uh, culture type of thing that he would do, right? Like that that was all him. Like, I think this is just similar to that, right? It is mm. sort of, uh, oh, actually, what's cool is this thing that all the all the woke kids hate, right? And that it's just sort I of see. inhabiting that in that sort of way. I think. So you don't think there's anything, because I think she, she also in the essay doesn't really fixate on any particular politics associated with this because i think she does think of it as aesthetic and so it has all these branches so do you also feel like this actually isn't that connected to like very malignant right-wing stuff no i don't think so because i don't take any of their politics very seriously at all you know and well that's um, actually a relief because i thought it was more sort of deep and frightening right look if the korean 4b movement is five thousand people this is like (laughs) 80. <laughs> they all have podcasts and they all hang out together. I was going to say, know? are they all, they're all on TikTok and they're yeah. all shopping on the same Etsy page or something. So yeah. my initial response to all of this was like, basically like, listen, if you want trad life, you know, then like my life, I just chauffeur my kids around all day, you know, and <laughs> I get, I have a 401k. You know? <laughs> You're living I, trad life? Yeah, I talk about <laughs> night nurses, you know, like most of my conversations are oh about my, my kids schooling, you know, um, I have like the most trad life possible, That's right? Hilarious. And like, I'm pretty financially comfortable at this point in my life, you know, and uh, let me tell you, it's not that bad. You know, you are right about certain things about <laughs> trad life. <laughs> I'm definitely the like unmarried old childless woman that the men that the men living trad life are yelling at on Twitter. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> are you so unhappy? And I just yeah. listen. I don't know. Like, I enjoy I enjoy the ele- the trad life elements of my life, but you know, I think that what the the vision of trad life that they have would not have people mm-hmm. who look like us involved in any sure. sort of way, right? right? And that yeah, part, so like, is that very? Ra- it is very. I mean, she says a little bit about that. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. It white. is like it is, is a white, white. Yeah, in the same way that Vice that. is like uh, white trash type it's of thing was very white, it's right? Vice. Yeah. Um, this is just that. I don't know. Every time I go, around, like every time I read anything about that scene. I just think that it's basically Williamsburg and, you know, in <laughs> in the late 90s or early early aughts, you know, like it's it's like a whole bunch of young people going around. At least the Williamsburg scene had a couple of good bands that came out of it. You know, this one just produces podcasts, <laughs> it seems like. Right. And 
it's the same sort of disaffected like we're gonna be cool we're a collection of like art kids and whatever and like we feel that we've been let at, left out of x scene right like mm -hmm. the and for these kids it's all the media right like the media we can't get jobs at x y and z so we're gonna make our own podcasts or like you know the art world doesn't want us so we're gonna mm -hmm. do our own type mm -hmm. of thing um and in that way i don't know it's nice and like it's nice to have those types of scenes i think like sometimes good stuff that comes out of it but um i think that the trap part of it is just kind of like a posture um yeah. but i don't really know anything about it. i was actually more interested in your thoughts about it than my thoughts about it. <laughs> <laughs> well i found this article educational in it i think it circulated a ton among friends and especially feminist friends that i have so as you like had predicted, like the, the, that feeling of like, oh, Tammy's going to find this very repulsive, like I do. And right. um, I do think some, I think the one thing that like makes, makes you feel like a little spine tingly when you read stuff like this is like, you know, I, I ask like, okay, so like what part of me, is there any part of me reflected in these women's experience that I'm like, oh yeah, that actually like, that makes a little bit of sense. What part you of know? it? Well, I don't know. I mean, I think Zo Zoe's reading of this thing of like, yeah, none of this capitalist stuff is working for me. And so why not opt out in right. these particular ways? Like, yeah, sure. Like, I think anyone can identify with that. Um, I guess the thing that makes me feel very worried about this and why, and that's why I was asking you also about like the political connections and stuff is because when I first started hearing people talk about trad life and trad wives in particular, it also connected to this thing about feminist today and maybe this has been going on for a while but feeling like anything is fine as long as you say that you believe in women oh you yeah. know that like yeah. that you can say any kind of politics is like women's rights see because like you are doing it and you're making individual choices and that's how this stuff has always read to me and i find that like really awful because it's like no you should have actually like a political concept and project in your life, you know, and you can't just be like, oh, yeah, but buying this $5,000 dress makes me feel powerful. And therefore, I'm a feminist and whatever. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And I think like there's a part of that that feels just like a version of that. Right. You know, like, right. oh, yeah, I'm making choices. How dare you not respect me kind of thing. Right, right. I mean, I think the part of it, I, I really do think the core of all this, and this is something I feel myself sometimes, you know, which is that it has become basically that there is, and this is what the right capitalized on forever. And now they've decided to not do it anymore, which is interesting. But like all this stuff that is like progressive politics, basically the core of progressive politics, it's deeply uncool right now, right? It's all mm -hmm. uncool. like none of these movements are <laughs> cool. You know, they all feel old, right? They're all sort of helmed by like 60 year old people at this point, right? Um, <laughs> who are just like kind of lecturing you about stuff <laughs> all the time. None of it feels regressive or cool, right? Like, yeah. uh, and like that, like when Paul Joseph Watson or something like that, or whoever that idiot, you know, was like, oh, well, the right is now punk, you know? Yeah. Like, it's a stupid thing to say, but you understand what the point is that, <laughs> that the person is making, right? Like, it is like this stuff is all like for young people, I think, especially. Like, they learn about it in school, right? How could it be cool, right? Like, it's not, like, there's no rebellion against it. Like, my kid goes to school and all, she, like, her, she is saturated with a type of, like, we don't be racist, don't be X, don't be X, don't be X. Right? Like, that, that is sort of, like, probably the thing that is most important in her, for the people who develop her education, for her to understand, right? Mm. And so when young people who have, I was not raised that way because I'm old, you know? But when young people... <laughs> 
go through that type of thing, then of course they're going to rebel about against it at some level, right? Especially when it's sort of delivered in this kind of like, you know, nonprofit sector type of way where like everything from like, oh, these, this like costume that you're wearing for Halloween is, is wrong. You know, we're going to cancel yeah, it, yeah. you know? And when the others, everything is seen as so joyless. Right. Yeah. Then what actually exists that's left that yeah. is like, and I think that they have just decided that this is a thing that exists that's left. Right. And yeah. That the, I do, but I do agree with Zoe's general sense here, which is that um, there is a connection to capitalism. Right. And basically the working woman's life as being seen as being dull. Right. And being awful and being restrictive, right? And that um, Mm -hmm. raising a child or having the freedom to be like a stay-at-home mom in that way does feel ennobling and liberating, I think, right? Because the worst possible thing is going to go work for a job and trying to advance in in capitalism. Yeah. Now, I will point out that none of these people have kids. (laughs) Right. That's this thing that she's she's like this like joyful landscape free of children though. Yeah, there's no kids. Also, the men who are, you know, apparently supposed to be like the object of all this Mm -hmm. this like great adulation, they don't really exist in this world either. Like that blonde (laughs) that the the viral trad wife, like like her husband is never in any of these videos, you know? (laughs) It's just her, right? And that's like that's interesting too. It's like a like they have created this sort of trad wife mm-hmm. world in which the husband does not really exist right mm-hmm. he is he's like off screen all the time and he yeah. is the thing that this is why she's baking in this low cut uh housewife <laughs> dress you know because yeah. she's and she's explaining to you that she's doing it for this reason because it gives her purpose in life but you never believe her because you never yeah. see the dude right <laughs> where's know? the site of the production yeah, yeah it's not like, you know like yeah. an ina garten at the end uh barefoot contessa like she mm-hmm. says i'm gonna be cooking a meal for so you know i forget her yeah. husband's <laughs> name there's is. no guest yeah but at the end they do eat it you know <laughs> right. you see them eating it yeah. but like in this they never eat it right and so um i don't know it makes it even more abstract but i don't mm-hmm. know i just like i i think that um i, I i'm not in, i don't feel that scared by this but i think that this is my new political stance on everything which is like i'm just like not that concerned about anything <laughs> ever like nothing is concerning to me. i guess that's good ron DeSantis is so not concerning to me maybe i should be concerned by ron DeSantis, i feel like you I'm should like, be concerned like not concerned you know i think he has no chance of beating trump and so i just don't take it very seriously hmm. you know okay. yeah and um i don't really care what happens at the new college of florida you know <laughs> like i think it's bad for free speech you know but i think a lot of things are bad for free speech and maybe you know i should stop caring about those types of things so much all right anything else about trad wives no oh my god um send me the tiktoks though that's funny i will thanks for listening to the show um as always if you'd like to support the show it's five dollars a month at patreon.com slash ttsgpod or you can support us at goodbye.substack.com if you'd like to get in touch with us it is time to say goodbye pod at gmail.com or on twitter at ttsgpod uh we had a movie night we watched better luck tomorrow for our discord server people it was great 
I don't know. I really like that movie. That's really fun to watch still. I actually had forgotten some parts, so it's like, oh. Yeah, yeah. That is thrilling. It's cool. Yeah. And they're also young in it, you know? I know. Um, that made me feel old. And <laughs> it is, you know, it is different than... It still feels different than a lot of Asian American mm-hmm. stuff that comes out, you know? Mm-hmm. In that it is so clearly trying to describe a specific type of dude. For sure. And that dude is not really in Asian American stuff anymore. Except in that show, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which was like in that same world. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah it was like West Covina, I think. And it was... Uh... Did you see that show? I actually didn't. Should I see that? I liked it. Okay. Yeah. I actually okay. thought it was great. Um, okay. Like, I was very impressed by yeah. Rachel Bloom's uh, whole thing. And then, like, it was kind of like, like, it felt very much like in the same way that Better Luck Tomorrow just feels very, like, a type of Southern California suburb. Mm-hmm. This one also felt that way. And it inhabited in this way that felt very real mm-hmm. while doing a show that was, like, basically a, you know... It's just so Rachel Bloom can do, like, joke, song, and dance numbers the entire time. It's like a musical. I see. Yeah. I see. I see. I thought it was pretty good. Huh. Um, all right. Well, uh, until next week, uh, we will talk to you then. Wonder.